0: our pulpit here at Faith Christian Center, our brother Terry Law. Would you come and bless the people? Thank you. God bless you. You may be seated. I have Fulfilled a desire that I've had for a lot of years. I travel internationally all the time. I have 8 million miles on one American airline. And I should own the company. I'm just sad that I don't. But the one state in the United States I have never visited is Rhode Island. And this morning I'm here. (laughs) And I... Uh, you know what? You folk look just like all the other people in our country. That's right. Honor to be here. Uh, just a little history. I was a member of the first graduating class of Oral Roberts University, which makes me older than dirt. What can I say? And I was there at the beginning. Used to travel with Oral on the Crusade plane. In the crusade services, it was uh, a wonderful opportunity that God gave me. Uh, I started a group at ORU called Living Sound. We traveled the world for 17 years. And uh, God did some mighty and amazing things. Um, uh, Most of the time, I just keep my mouth is open because God is good. How many of you know that? And What he does, what he does... I just have to shake my head, and I don't understand. My call primarily is to close nations. I go to places nobody has ever been, and we're usually the first person there. And in the last while, we've been involved in the Middle East. I started first in the communist world, went into Russia, took a music group into Russia, went to Poland, got to know the man who became Pope John Paul II, He invited us to Rome to do a concert in St. Peter's Square with about 60,000 people there. And the Pope tapped his toe to the music. We sang There's Power in the Blood and some other songs I don't think they'd heard before. But it was a wonderful time. And uh, over the years, uh, my focus has been go where others have not gone. And in recent days, we have begun to travel in the Middle East. Um, and the doors that God has opened. I remember being on vacation in Cyprus with a, a pastor friend from Wales. And uh, he mentioned, he said, are you aware of the fact that Lebanon, Beirut, is just 125 miles away? And I hadn't realized it. And the more I thought about it that day, the Spirit of the Lord said, I want you to go to the Middle East. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how to do it. But that day, I called my office in Tulsa. I said, Joel, we're going to the Middle East. He said, where? I said, I have no idea. Find out anybody who's doing something important. Let's go and talk to them, and the Lord will show us from there. So several months later, we flew into Cairo, Aban Jordan, Beirut, Lebanon, Damascus, Syria, and Jerusalem while we were in uh, Amman, a young man, the head of the Bible Society there, mentioned the fact that his wife came from Iraq. When he said, Iraq, I knew where I was to go. Now, this was at a time we were going to war in the year 2002, 2003. Uh, It turned out that American citizens were not allowed in Iraq in those days, only if they worked for a news organization, so in Tulsa, where I live, I went down to NBC, and I said, I would like to do a job for you in the Middle East. Would you pay me a dollar a year? And they said, yes, we will. So I put their NBC tag around my neck, and I went in. I was on the plane with Dan Rather, who was on his way to give the last interview that Saddam Hussein ever, ever gave. Now, we've been working in Iraq for quite a few years, 14 years now. Uh, today we will feed 4,500 refugees, many of them who've escaped out of the horror in Syria and have come into northern Iraq. Uh, that's where our headquarters is. We work with the Kurds in Kurdistan, northern Iraq. And I'd like to tell you just briefly before I go to the Word of God, something that happened three weeks ago. I'm 74 years of age, uh, two years older than your pastor. And he's not nearly as old as I am. But uh, I- I'm experiencing some of the most incredible days of my life. It gets better. I was talking to Pastor Anita and said, you know, it gets sweeter as the days go by. That's an old chorus we used to sing. And that's exactly what's going on. But three weeks ago, I got a call from the Deputy Prime Minister of Kurdistan, Iraq, saying, would you come over here? and bring a group of pastors with you." He said, we are lo- losing, this is a Muslim Prime Minister. He said, we are losing our Christians because of the violence of ISIS. Christians have been persecuted in, in this area. We are ashamed of what has happened. And we want to make a new resolution we're creating a new uh, constitution for our parliament they're having a referendum in Kurdistan the 25th of of September this fall and they're asking the people of Kurdistan do you want to be an independent nation that means independent from the rest of Iraq it would be the best thing they could ever do the Kurds are our best America's best friends in the Middle East their soldiers the Peshmerga, are the best ones on the ground in the Middle East outside of Israel. And they love America, and they want to be a free nation just like we are. But he said, I want you to come over and talk to the pastors of the various denominations we have. And they have, I mean, you're talking, uh, uh, Doubting Thomas built the first church in Kurdistan. Imagine Jesus' disciple. And uh, in Nineveh, or, or uh, we call it Mo- Mosul today, and you know what ISIS has done in destroying Mosul. I'll be on the ground in Mosul in two weeks. And uh, what, what has happened to Christians, desecration of churches, people being brutally, horribly persecuted, mainly by ISIS. Um, we're going into the middle of that. And we're going to talk to all kinds of denominations. We'll talk to bishops and, and archbishops and leaders of, of the, uh, more liturgical churches. Then we're going to the evangelical churches as well. And the prime minister said, I want you to ask them one question. I said, what's that? Talk to them as Christians and ask them, what would you like to see in our new constitution that protects the rights of Christians going forward. Nothing like this has ever happened, ever, in my history. And he said, we love our Christian people. We want to invite them to come back. Hundreds of thousands have fled to Europe. They're living in the refugee camps over there. He said, we're going to build a safe haven for Christians in the Middle East. There's not another country that's done it, and they're about to do it. And He said, after you've traveled and met the church leaders throughout the nation, he said, well, we want you to come back and tell our government what has to be in the new constitution. I'm bringing a man with me who is a constitutional lawyer, who's an expert in uh, creating religious liberty in a constitution, and... He's going to offer his services to the government going forward, advising them and creating a comfortable environment for believers as they move forward. Would someone say praise the Lord this morning? I'm so excited. The pastor said he didn't sleep last night. I'm having trouble to sleep every night on my way over there because I know the danger where we're going. Uh, I have lived my life under fire in areas, and I, I simply don't have time to tell. I brought a book with me. It's my life story this morning called Storm Chaser, written by James Gilbert. And it tells a lot about missions. And uh, it, I'm sure it will inspire you. I've written another book. It's the hardest book I ever wrote called Unmasking ISIS. We take a good look at Islam. Where does ISIS come from? what are its theological roots, and what kind of evil has been turned on the rest of the world. They are recruiting your young people on television in the back bedroom in ways that you have no knowledge or no understanding of. And the more I researched this and found out why our young Americans, Canadians, and others were were heading over there, the more I realized that somebody, a Christian, had to take a look at this and reveal the truth in terms of God's Word. So I've got written materials out in the lobby for you. But um, what is so exciting is I have, I think it is, 18 pastors now who are prepared to come with me and to meet the Prime Minister in three weeks and to begin Our drive, the first place we're going is to Mosul, as I've just said. We want to show the world. We're bringing professional cameras with us. And we'll have a story to tell the world that the rest of the world knows nothing about. You haven't heard this on CNN or Fox. What I'm telling you this morning is happening now. And I'll tell you what, if I was a preacher and I started a church, I would call my church the church of what's happening now. I think that's the best church name that I know of. Do you agree with that this morning? And, uh, but we have, uh, this is an unexpected open door. It came three weeks ago. We had no funding for this. We are, right now, we have, are purchasing a home for widows in Kurdistan. The Yazidi people were obliterated by ISIS when they came blasting across the plains in the, into northern Iraq. And those women were raped. They're, I can't tell you the horror of their life. And we have started a home right now for Yazidi widows to rehabilitate them, help them get over all of the damage. And they are more open than any other people I know in the Middle East to Jesus. And we're going to lead them to Jesus. And that's part of what we're establishing. But it's 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 the government thing that I can't get over. I talked to Kenneth Copeland on Wednesday. He said, Terry, this is unbelievable. Nothing like this has ever happened that I know of. James Robinson called me, and uh, both men are on the president's council. And I'm waiting right now. I don't know if it'll happen. I can't guarantee it but I have five friends who are counselors to President Donald Trump, and the news is coming out of what we're about to do. Nobody has ever had the opportunity for years. And and most of our politicians have said, why have all these people run from their culture, run from their country, simply because of danger? Why not stay there in their co- culture and become a witness for the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. So that's our work. That's what I'm going to do. Number one, I need your prayers. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done this before. But how many of you know? <laughs> another church I would name is the Church of what never, of what has never been done before. Uh, that's another good name for a church. But, um, my ministry is to pioneer. And I desperately need prayer. I ask you to stand behind us. And financially, I'm looking at about a $50,000 cost to pull off what we're going to do in the next three weeks. And we have no way of knowing how to defray those expenses. They have just come. And I'm totally dependent on God to do what he wants to do in preparing the way. But, one thing I know: we are going to do what God has asked us to do. We will be there. I will, I will announce, I will announce to the Prime Minister and the members of the Cabinet all protections that Christians demand under a constitution, the protections that every one of you and I have here in America, in the land that we love, and to see that legislation. Do you know there's ten? million Coptic Christians in Egypt. They're being persecuted and beaten every day. We're talking about a homeland that can establish Christians all through the Middle East. If they've got to run from where they are, they've got a place nearby where they can still speak language, etc., and still live in a modicum of safety. Let me tell you, when we get to heaven... And the rewards are handed out. There's a lot of people that we don't know, have never seen on television, that are going to walk to the front of the line, many of them as martyrs of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to be amazed at the power of the church. Praise God for the church. And God is giving an open door to establish it. And we're on our way. I leave on the 14th of August, and we'll be over there for a couple of weeks doing what God has called us to do. I want to talk to you this morning on an unusual subject. Some years ago, the Lord put it on my heart to study angels, and I've written a book called The Truth About Angels, and I'm going to preach to you this morning on the subject of angels. I'm going to start it by telling a story. Several months ago, on my last trip into Iraq, the director of my work in Kurdistan said, I've got a young man who fights for the Peshmerga against ISIS every day, and he wants to talk to you. He's heard about your work. So I said, all right. I went over to a local Muslim restaurant to meet him. His name was Marco. he's 25 years of age. I said, Marco, what's it like to fight ISIS? He said, Dr. Law, they come screaming through the night, dressed in black, black masks over their face, cursing in foul Arabic language, trying to psychologically scare us. And he said, uh, Often when I'm sitting at, on duty at night, uh, I've made up my mind. He said, I will never empty my AK-47. I will always leave one bullet in the chamber. I said, why is that? He said, because if all else fails, he said, I'm not going to let them take me alive. I said, what do you want to talk about? Well, he said, three weeks ago, now this is just a little while ago, he said, three weeks ago, I was... Uh, doing duty from 2 to 3 in the morning out uh, out on the desert watching for Isis. And he said, I was dead tired and I came back to lay down on my mattress out on the desert. He said, I fell into a deep sleep. He said, when I fell into sleep, he said, I had a dream and a beautiful creature came to me in the dream. He said, he reached out and took my hand and I walked with him over a hill in the dream, down into a beautiful oasis. He said, and then I woke up. He said, a couple of nights later, I had a similar dream, only this time this beautiful, brilliant creature in my dream. I, I had a little boy and a little girl on both sides of me, and he said, this creature led us down again to the beautiful oasis. But he said, five days ago, We chased ISIS out of a village. He said the greatest danger they have are improvised explosive devices. We call them IEDs. They are expert at placing them, and far more people die after they left the village than died in taking the village. So the first thing our commanders do when we go into a new village where we've chased ISIS out is to check for IEDs. And he said the captain of my of my uh, group asked me to go over and open the door of a certain house and check it out. I don't know if anybody's ever told you, but it's dry in Providence, Rhode Island. (laughs) So if you don't mind, I'm gonna wet my whistle every once in a while. He said, I walked over to that door and he said I hesitated for a moment. And then he said, all of a sudden, the creature that I had seen in my dreams was standing beside me. He said, as I reached my hand out to open the door, he said, that creature reached out his hand, and he took my hand and said, don't open it. He said, I was puzzled, and he said, I was startled, actually. And uh, he said, I backed away an hour later. Two other young men came to that door and were blown into eternity. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes. He said, what is going on? I said, uh, do you have anybody praying for you? He said, yes, my sister's become a Christian. For the last five years, she prays for me every day. And she's been asking that God somehow would affect my life. I said, that's your problem. He said, what do you mean? And I told him about angels. I opened my Bible, gave him a few little scriptures, and uh, particularly about Peter in jail and some other ones. And uh, he said, so that's an angel of the Lord in my dreams? I said, yes, it is. By the way, it will interest you to know that 90%, 90%, of people coming to Jesus in the Middle East are having angelic visions or appearances of Jesus. Would you like to say praise the Lord for that? Let me tell you, let me tell you, when Jesus starts showing up somewhere, when angels start showing up somewhere, lift up your eyes and look, because God is on the move. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now... He said, well, what should I do? I said, God's obviously on your trail. We're sitting in a Muslim hotel. He said, well, what next step should I take? I'd like to pray for you, I said. Would you bow your head right now here at the table and pray with me? I prayed a sinner's prayer, led him in the prayer. In a Muslim hotel with waiters and people moving all around and he had a glorious salvation. Three days later he sent a message to me back in Tulsa where I live and he said, I am now a Jesus follower. He said, a follower of Jesus. Would you like to say praise the Lord? I, <clears throat> I want, I want to say something to you and me as believers. Angels have a lot more to do with our life than any of us have any idea about. And I want to present that to you biblically by looking at the text, looking at the life of the early church to find out what Jesus did. I'm going to take my text this morning from the book of Hebrews chapter 14, or excuse me, chapter 1 and verse 14. Hebrews chapter 14. And, excuse me, I'm saying that wrong. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14. This is, I think, the best. I studied 600 hours when I wrote my book on angels. I found out there was no other uh, theological treatise out there on the subject. And I spent a lot of time trying to get it right. Reading the Word, talking with Brother Hague and Brother Roberts with a whole bunch of people that God was using. And I came to the, to the conclusion that verse 14 of chapter 1 is probably the most important single verse in the Bible on what angels are there for. Why did God create angels in the first place? Why are they involved with you and me in our lives? And why do they appear so often in the sacred text? Verse 14. Speaking about angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Look at that carefully. Are angels not all ministering spirits? That means spirits that help us or serve us. Are angels not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? How many of you have inherited salvation? Would you raise your hands, please? All right. The answer here, very simply, is God has all those angels out there working on your behalf. And I'll tell you one thing. If they're out there and they want to help, I need all the help I can get. And I trust that you probably feel exactly the same way. Let me give you the theology of this first. I was ministering in the early nineties, very large church in, uh, Rio, uh, Rio, uh, in Argentina. No, Rio was in Brazil. I was in, what's the capital of? Rio de Janeiro. Got that wrong. Anyway, um, pastor of a church, 125,000 member church, said, uh, Terry, have you ever read the connection between angels and the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Uh, I was raised a Pentecostal. I thought we wrote the book on the Holy Spirit, so I said, no, I've never heard of this anywhere in my life. He said, well, go to the book of Acts, read it, and check it out. He wouldn't tell me where it was. So we had a 12-hour trip back from uh from there to Miami and on the plane I opened my bible the book of acts and here's what I found Do you remember when Philip was ministering in Samaria and they had a huge revival and the whole city was shaken by the message and Peter and John were sent down to lay hands on the uh, on the new believers to receive the baptism of the holy spirit but in verse 26 The Bible says an angel, in the middle of the revival, an angel came to Philip and said, I want you to go down to the road between Jerusalem and Gaza. Have you ever been on that road? I'll tell you what. It was 118 degrees there three days ago. Uh, We're going into the middle of that heat on my next trip. But the road from Jerusalem to Gaza is desert. And the Holy, or the angel of the Lord has Philip leaving the greatest thing he's ever seen and going down to the desert. He gets to where the right spot is and all of a sudden, here comes an Ethiopian eunuch riding in a chariot. And if you check your Bible, I read it this morning before I came in here. The Bible says the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go and talk to that man in the chariot. Now, get the picture. The angel told him to get out of Dodge. The angel said, go down to the desert. And when he got to where the angel said to go, the Holy Spirit took over. I want to suggest to you that there's very clear evidence in the New Testament that angels work for the Holy Spirit. Not just one uh, issue here. Go two chapters later, in the book, in the uh, tenth chapter, in Acts, an angel comes to Cornelius at the sixth hour at noon, appears in his house, and he blesses him and he talks to him about his pr- uh, prayer and his alms, etc. And then the angel says to Philip, "I want you to send men to talk to a man." Named Peter, who is staying in Joppa in the home of Simon the Tanner. So, Cornelius does what the angel said. I want you to, I want you to say with me as a congregation, the angel said, send men for Peter. Would you say that? The angel said, send men for Peter. All right? The men get to Joppa. Peter is on the roof getting a lesson in race relations from the Holy Ghost with a sheet coming down out of heaven. We all, we've we all seen that. Again, later on in that chapter in verses 19 and 20, listen to what happens. They are down below inquiring about Peter, and the Holy Ghost says to Peter on the rooftop, three men have arrived. Go with them, for I have sent them. The Holy Spirit didn't send them. The angel said, go and find a man called Peter. How do? You, what do you assume from that? The Holy Spirit was behind the angel who came to Cornelius, and he later says, the three men that I have arrived, go with them, for I have sent them. Would somebody say amen? amen. Not just two witnesses. How about three? Two chapters later, Peter is in jail. And the newly acquired uh, church in Jerusalem is is praying. Praying that God will get him out of jail. A Spirit-filled church praying for Peter's release. And who does the Holy Spirit send to get Peter out of jail? Anybody? Hello? Yes, it's there. You can't get away from it. Angels work for the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. If you are filled with... We all are are born again by the Holy Spirit, but we also have the gift of the Spirit, the gift of tongues, etc. But the Holy Spirit in you is ministering to you by those heavenly beings that surround us. Somebody asked the question, how many angels are there? The Bible says an innumerable company. You can't count them. Just for example... There are warrior angels, messenger angels, uh, praise and worship angels, uh, seraphim, cherubim, and, uh, you know. But if, perchance, every one of us has a guardian angel, which I think is very reasonable, that would mean what? How many people in the year? Seven billion? We're talking about a huge company. And they're waiting for you and I, To get in trouble enough where they have to intervene. That's why I do what I do. (laughs) When I get to heaven, my angels are going to be angry with me and they're going to say, Why did you get into all these messes time and time and time again? Now, practical questions. Uh, Jesus is not an angel. Write it down. Hebrews 1 gives us seven reasons that Jesus is superior to angels. They had angel heresy in the the early church, and the book of Hebrews addresses that subject very clearly. By the way, I have two angels that travel with me all the time. One of them is named Goodness, and the other is named Mercy. Surely, Goodness... (laughs) you got the same ones working with you. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Someone say amen this morning. <laughs> but uh, angels are a company. They're not a race. Mankind is a race. We proliferate. We have children. I have seven children, by the way. They are all serving the Lord. It's the greatest testimony that I have. But we have children. Angels do not procreate. As far as I'm aware, and the Bible says that there's not going to be any more angels in the future than there are now. But with all the angels out there and being willing to minister for us, when I wrote my book, I asked the Lord a question. I said, what is it that I do or what things in my life are important to encourage angels to come alongside me and to help. In other words, and this is a a crude word to use, what activates angels or, or what do they get excited about in Christian lives as they move amongst us? And I came up with five principles that I'm going to share with you this morning, and I want you to listen carefully to each one. The first principle That activates angels, as far as I can tell, is the principle of authority. Why is it important to angels what we, you and I, do about authority in our lives? Number one, angels are created to obey authority. The angels of God are totally obedient to God. How many of you know that? The angels of the devil, they know who their boss is, and they are totally subject to authority. So they watch authority in our lives. And uh, I love that verse that says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, James 4, 7. Submit yourself, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he runs from who? God? No, he runs from you. Resist the devil... And he runs from you. But the first phrase, submit yourselves therefore to God. If you're going to command demons, and many times I'm called to do this, the only way you do that is being under authority yourself. Submit yourself to God first. If you're submitted there, then the evil spirits are going to tell you what to do. Somebody say amen. That's important. It's important we understand that. But authority is important. Now, what does that have to do with you? What does that have to do with the average church today? And here we are, sitting in church in Providence, Rhode Island. God has established in the church five ministry gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And God has called you and me as individual believers to be in a church like we are this morning and under the authority of a pastor. If you're wandering around town... And you can't make up your mind where to go to church. You are out from under authority. Hear that clearly. I live in Tulsa. There's a lot of ministries flow out of Tulsa. When I look at a ministry, the one thing I find out is where are they being pastored? Where are the spiritual needs being taken care of? If I've got trouble, I go to my pastor. I've tied to my church. I bless my church. And I'll tell you, if I'm under authority in Tulsa, and I have my pastor and my church, then when I move out of Tulsa, I have authority where I go because I'm under authority at home. How many of you understand what I'm saying? I could preach an hour on this. I don't have the time, nor do you, because lunch is approaching, and uh we won't get into that at this point, but I I... I I remember I was in Winnipeg, Canada once. A man possessed with a demon was in the service. And uh, he said, when you walked out on the platform, he said, I saw an angel in front of you. I saw two angels behind you. And he said, I sent a curse. This man had been responsible for doing that. He totally involved in the cult occult for years. But he said, the angels... Uh, Balanced, or they shuffled the curse away and it didn't touch you. He said, you're a powerful man. He's saying this to me after because I went back after we had a healing service and went back and two young pastors were dealing with this man and I knew he had a spirit. I knew it as soon as I saw him. And uh, I cast out the spirit and uh, he he was totally delivered, changed the life of the church. It was a wonderful manifestation. But authority is so important. I can't stay there. Let's move on. The next principle that affects and activates angels in our lives is sacrifice. Sacrifice. There's something about sacrifice that draws angels. You remember when Abraham went up the mountain because God said, sacrifice your son Isaac? What happened when Abraham and Isaac went up the mountain? Isaac says, Father, we've got the wood and, uh, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide. Isaac was a strong, virile young man. Abraham was old. The young man could have overcome his father. When they got up the mountain, Abraham tied up his son and, and got the wood and prepared the fire and was about to stab his son with a, with a dagger. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke. And how did he speak? He spoke in a voice to Abraham and said, Abraham, stop. God has seen your sacrifice. And behold, there is a ram caught by its thorn, his, his horns in the thicket. An angel showed up at the moment of sacrifice. How about when David had numbered the children of Israel contrary to the command of the Lord? And a de- death angel was hovering over Jerusalem. And the Lord said to David, build a sacrifice. And David Ornan saw the angel. He was scared. He said, here, you get on my my threshing floor, everything is all yours. And David said, no, God forbid that I offer him a sacrifice that costs me nothing. That's the key to sacrifice. If it costs you, if it costs you time, and serving the Lord, if it costs you time to go to a, a unwed mother's home or or to the high school and kids who are suffering with drugs, it, it, when you sacrifice for God, the angels are aware. And remember, when Zechariah went in at the time of the evening sacrifice, the angel of the Lord met him in the temple and said, God's going to give Elizabeth a child. And when... <laughs> When Zachariah said, she's too old, and he began to remonstrate with the angel, the angel said, you're not going to talk for nine months. Shut up. How many of you know he didn't talk for nine months? Same thing with Balaam going up a mountain to curse God's people, and who was waiting for him on the road while he rode the donkey was an angel with a sword. They're out there, folks but the sacrifice is important to God. Number three, another principle that affects angels in your life a lot is found in several spots in the Bible. Remember when Abraham met three men that were angels in disguise. And he entertained them in his home, and they talked about the fact that God was going to destroy destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember that? And Abraham began a prayer. And he said, God, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare the city? God said, all right. How about 40? Yeah, all right. 30? All right. His, His faith was shrinking. 20? All right. Down to 10? And the Lord said, all right. I'll spare it. But there weren't ten righteous. Who did God send into Sodom and Gomorrah to get Lot, his wife, sons and daughters out of the city? Anybody? Two angels of the Lord. Prayer brings angels. I know that as certainly as I stand here. When Daniel was in the lion's den and Darius the king hoped that God had saved his life, Daniel prayed, the Bible says, and who came and shut the mouths of the lions? I can't hear you. Angels respond to prayer, and that is very clear. When Peter was in prison, I love that story, and the church was saying, oh God, get him out of jail. Who did God send to get Peter out of jail? An angel, all because of prayer. The connection is there, and it's all through your Bibles now. The fourth principle that affects angels is going to surprise you. And uh, I'm going to talk about it in a moment, but I'm going to... This is a surprising thing about angels. Angels watch what you do with your money. I didn't hear an amen on that one. Not a one anywhere in the building. <laughs> Angels watch what you do with your money. You know where I found that in the Bible? When the angel of the Lord came to Cornelius, he said, Your prayers and your, what's the next word? Your alms have come up as a memorial before God. Cornelius was a gen- a generous man. He blessed the children of Israel He prayed a lot, prayed to God every day, a godly man wanting to follow God. God watches what you do with your money. Can I tell a story? I'm a Canadian by birth, born in Saskatchewan, near the end of the world. You can't, it's not at the end of the world, but you can see it from there, as many people say. And uh, I was born in what we call an Indian hospital. And uh, my father was a pioneer pastor. <clears throat> I remember at 18, 19 years old, I went to a Bible college in Edmonton, Alberta. And something very unusual happened to me one night, Sunday night. It was in a the service. There was 800 people in the audience, full balcony. I was sitting in the, in the balcony at the front aisle in the balcony. The pastor brought a missionary out on the platform. He said, folks, this guy wants, and his family want to go back to Kenya, and I want to raise the money to send them back. And he went ahead and said, uh, I, I would like to see how many people would support them at $100 apiece. This was something I'd never seen done in church. And so I leaned over the balcony, and I was look, looking at all the rich people that I knew in the congregation. I said, come on, Harry, you can put up your name or put up your hand and John and, you know, doing all that. And all of a sudden, I had the strangest feeling go right down my backbone. And I said, oh, no, Lord, not me. (laughs) I was a poor Bible school student. I had $104 and I think it was 53 cents in the bank. And the Lord was asking me to give a $100 in a missionary offering? Now, that may not seem much to you in Providence, Rhode Island. I was in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. It was February, and it was 20 below zero outside. Two feet of snow. The only way I got to Bible school every morning was on a bus. And I had a bus fare. I had to pay to and from... Every day we we were, it was not a residential school, we stayed in homes. And I I knew, I said it to the Lord. Lord, if I give $100, I got $4.53 back. I'm going to be broke on Wednesday. I prophesied my own future. And uh, just like, well, first of all, let me say, uh, the Bible says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. I was not a cheerful giver that night. I said, God, I'll stick my hand up once. If he doesn't see it the first time, I'm not going to pull it up again. And I went like this. He says, thank you, Terry. I see that hand. I appreciate it. So he nails me in the balcony. So they came around with the offering plate, and I'd written out a check for $100, and I threw it on the offering plate. And... uh Just like I said to the Lord on Wednesday, I ran out of bus fare. I was preparing to walk six miles and 20 below zero weather to get home. I thought I'd go pray in the chapel first (laughs) while I was praying in the chapel. I don't know who it was. Somebody slipped up, stuck a little envelope under my, my arm. I never told a soul about what I'd done. I opened it up. There were $53 in it. And it gave me enough money to go and preach for my father in Medicine Hat, Alberta, down 300 miles, take a bus. The next weekend, I preached on a Sunday night. A rancher from the church came to the parsonage where my mother and father lived. And he was carrying three $100 bills in his hand. He said, the Lord told me to give this to you this morning. He said, would you come and work for me this summer? I said, sure. I got out of Bible school and went to work for Ed Stahl out on the ranch. And uh, Oral Roberts came up to Alberta that summer for a crusade in the hockey arena in Edmonton, Alberta. I'd heard a lot about him, never seen him. And I begged a day off work from Ed. I was working with cattle out on the ranch. We hauled 14,000 hay bales that summer. I'm a cowboy. That's what I grew up doing. And uh Ed said, sure, go ahead. So I drove 350 miles up to Edmonton to hear Oral Roberts preach. I can tell you his text, I can tell you everything he said. I saw the people getting healed. I was amazed. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. And I had been praying for three months that summer, fasting and praying, saying, God, show me what you want to do with the rest of my life. And I remember coming out of that crusade service in Edmonton and uh, I stopped in the lobby and they had a, a table with some brochures advertising a new university built in Tulsa, Oklahoma called Oral Roberts University. I picked it up. I saw that the yearly uh, fee was $8,000. And I dropped the envelope on the table. I said, Lord, I can't afford that. I made $50 a month working in my little church and working for Ed on the ranch. I said, God, I can't do that. I remember driving home that night, got in at four in the morning. And I cried all the way, tears rolling down my cheeks. I said, God, I can't afford to go ORU. There's no way I can do this. And I fought the Lord for another month. And one night, I just gave up. I said, all right, I'm going to ORU. I'm going to tell Ed about it in the morning. We started at 5, 5.30 in the morning out in the fields. It was hot during the day. And I said, Ed, I, I, I've got something I want to talk to you about. He said, Terry, what's that? I said, well, I need help. I said, I need some wisdom. And he said, well, go ahead. I said, God told me I was supposed to go to Oral Roberts University when I went down to hear Oral Roberts preach. I said, and I, I don't know what to do. His eyes filled with tears. He said, get in the truck. I said, Okay. And uh, we drove a couple miles across the prairie up on a hill. And he said, you see that spot? And he pointed. I said, yes. He said, I was working with Aurora, our, my prize bull. I was crossbreeding Simmental in Hereford. Of course, you wouldn't know that in Providence, Rhode Island. But anyway, that's what he was doing. And he said, an angel of the Lord showed up a month ago and told me that you were going to Old Robert's university and when you made up your mind to go I was to pay your way. Get the picture. a 19year- old kid in a church giving a hundred dollars that he cannot afford. The angel said to Cornelius "I am come because of your praise and because of your alms, your're giving. Angels are watching, our giving. And when we sacrifice, God moves heaven and earth to take care of us and to put us where he wants us. I tell this story often at ORU and all the students. Uh, they're excited by the story, but they're all saying, why didn't God do that to me? And I don't know what to say to them, so I, I don't say anything. But I'm standing here this morning. Traveling around the world, I've seen hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, come to the Lord in nations everywhere. It started with a $100 gift. Angels, watch your giving. Finally, my last point. Let's say it with me. Would you please? uh, We'll start. Authority. Authority. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Prayer? Prayer. Giving. Now, what do you think the fifth one is? The fifth thing that brings angels is praise and worship. Angels love praise and worship in the church. Would somebody say amen? Amen. I write in my book, i wrote written a book on angels, and I've written a book in several areas. But one of the the things I'm convinced of is that Satan is a very musical creature. And I take that out of a prophetic portion in Ezekiel 28. And I believe he was a praise and worship leader of heaven. When he sinned, music fell with him. And uh, he now wants the worship of mankind for himself. That's why he, the temptation he brought Jesus in the wilderness was bow down and worship me. I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world as a gift. There's so much in the Bible that connects angels and praise and worship. There's one little portion I want to deal with as I close. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat is king of Israel, and he is invaded by three other warrior nations. They're marching up to Jerusalem, and he calls... The nation together for a national fast. And the Lord tells him and gives him a message through a young prophet by the name of Jehaziel. He said, when you go to battle against the enemy, put your singers, put your worship people in the front of the battle. And when you go over the hill against the enemy, don't go with your sword and spear and shield and all the rest of it. Send your singers, send those who know how to praise and worship the Lord, and I'm going to show you a mighty manifestation of my power. When they came over the hill that morning with their hands in the air praising God, and I wished I had time to exposit all this chapter to you, because it's, it's pregnant with meaning in what it says. But when you get down to verse 20, in verse 21 and 22, it says, and when they began to sing in praise, would everybody say, and when they began to sing in praise? You gotta put the emphasis on when. Say it one more time. Amen. One more time. Amen. When they began to sing in praise, the Lord sent ambushments. I studied that text for months, and I said, God, what happened here? And the Lord gave me a very simple principle. He said, if you want to know how I ambush, follow how I ambushed in the Bible. You remember when Balaam was going to curse Israel? The Lord sent an angel with a sword on the pathway of Balaam, ready to judge him. Are you there? When God ambushes, he uses angels. That's how he does it. You remember when Herod began to boast and and he was puffed up with pride in Acts 12 and he was smitten by an angel with worms and he died. Is that in your Bible? I believe it is now. There's something about angels and healing that I love in Scripture. Angels, you remember the story in Acts, I mean in John 4. When Jesus came to the pool of Bethesda and there was a lame man there and he said I've been sitting here for 38 years and Jesus said well why haven't you been healed he said well when the angel stirs the waters, how many of you have ever read that it's in your Bible when the angel stirs the water the healing power of God is there and the first one that gets in gets healed he said I've missed it 38 38 years I want you to hear this carefully. When the children of Israel began to sing and praise, God sent ambushments. How does he ambush? Angels. How does God ambush disease in your body and mind? Not always, but many times. It's the angels of heaven that are operating. Let me tell you a story. I was in Baker, Louisiana. Larry Stockstill Church. They had five, six thousand in the church when I was there. And I traveled with Don Moen. Some of you know him. Don is famous worldwide for praise and worship. One of the greatest praise, uh, worship writers that I've ever seen. Don's on my board. He's coming with me to Iraq in two weeks. And, uh, we were, he was leading in praise and worship at the end of a Sunday morning service. And we're going to do this in a moment. And you're going to be shocked as you see what God's going to do in this room. I'm preparing your face for this now. We went into praise and then the Holy Spirit descended and we went into high praise. And I was standing on the platform. Don was leading at the piano and I saw a woman right over in this side, at the front. In the middle of the praise, she jumped right off the floor with both feet. It's like, Someone had hit her with a cattle prod. Uh, you wouldn't know what that is. This is Rhode Island. Anyway, it's, it's a shock, and she came off the floor with both feet, and then she dissolved into tears. And I knew something had happened, and I called her over and said, Ma'am, what just happened to you? She said, You were looking at me. I saw you looking at me. I said, Yes, I was looking at you. She said, You didn't see them? I said, See What? She said, you didn't see the angels? Do you ever feel bad other people see them and you don't? I wrote a book on it, but I've never seen an angel yet. I'd love to have that gift in, in my own ministry. But she jumped, and, and, and then when she cried, other people were, were talking in her ears, and I said, well, what happened? She said, Terry, there were two huge angels uh, on both sides of me in the middle of the praise. And she said, "One uh, eight years ago, I suffered a disease in my ears. And she said, my eardrums were we- eaten up by a disease. I have no eardrums. I have been stone deaf for eight years. But one angel was working in one ear. Another angel was working in the other ear. She said, both of my ears came on simultaneously. And I've lived in silence for eight years. And when the people shouting uh, hit by eardrums, I jumped off the floor. I was terrified. But she was totally healed, and she's healed to this day. six weeks, six weeks later six weeks later, I'll never forget this. I was in a church in Dallas, about twelve hundred people on a Sunday night, in the middle of praise and worship, I saw a little boy about eight years old crawl out from the middle of the congregation out to the aisle, and he ran out the front of the building, out into the parking lot. He was gone for 15, 20 minutes when he came back in. I, I knew something had happened to him. And I said, son, would you come down here? And he walked down with the mother, with him. And he was semi-crying, and I said, what happened to you? He said, sir, I was born with asthma. I've never been able to play baseball. My buddies have called me. A sissy, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. He said, I've never been able to move my feet rapidly without my lungs collapsing. But he said, Sir, did you see them? I said, Did I see what? He said you didn't see the angels? He thought everybody could see them. I said, No, where were they? And they had a big speaker like this hanging down from the ceiling. He said there were a whole bunch of them right up there among the speakers. And he said the big one in the middle came down and put his hand on my chest. He said, I took a breath. My chest began to burn. He said, I felt my breath return. He said, I've been out running in the parking lot around the cars for the last 15 minutes. I don't have asthma anymore. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Angels, authority, sacrifice, prayer, giving, praise and worship. In the next few moments, right here in the church, with no hoop and holler or palaver, I'm going to ask the musicians to come to the platform if they would, please. I want us to sing one of the most simple choruses you can sing. That's the old chorus, Alleluia. Alleluia. And uh, I want us to quiet ourselves in the presence of the Lord and see what God does. Enter into praise. Praise the Lord. If you're looking for, how many of you need a healing of some kind this morning? Would you raise your hands? Yes, hands all over this building. Let's stand to our feet, shall we? We're going to sing the chorus. I want you to sing it like you've never sung before. And I'd like you to allow your faith to move in God's direction and let God do what He wants to do in your physical body. But we're going to magnify Him. We're going to lift Him up. I remember once in Christ for the Nations, I was preaching on a for a praise and worship convention for five days. On the fifth day, the Holy Spirit came and people were laying, 1,500 students, some of them laying on their backs, some of them laying on the front. Everybody in a volume of praise to the Lord. Five years later, I was in town and a man met me in a restaurant. He said, Sir, you're Terry Law. I said, Yes. He said, Do you remember the night? I said, What night? He said, we never had one like it before in Christ for the Nations. He said, when the Holy Spirit came. And he said, you know what? I was a sound man working back in the booth. And he said, we were recording instruments that were not in the room. We were recording voices, singing above the voices of those students. He said, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And we were there for three hours that night. I don't know what God's going to do here this morning, but I will say this. Put everything out of your mind, cares, worries, whatever it is. The angels of the Lord are here this morning, but more importantly, the Holy Spirit's here this morning. And He'll be instructing angels on our behalf. So let's just sing the song, raise our hands. And prepare ourselves to see what God will do in our midst. Sing with me, please, on this chorus. Let's sing it.
1: Hallelujah.
0: Let's sing it again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
1: Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. you,
0: And let's sing it. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. raise our voices and praise the Lord together, everyone. Blessed be the Lord. Hallelujah. We magnify your name this morning. Blessed be the name of Jesus in this place. Holy Spirit, move in our presence and in our midst by your power. Manifest your grace and your glory. I pray for the healing of God's people this morning in this room, even now as we wait in your presence and wait for your Holy Spirit to speak in Jesus' name. I want everyone who needs healing in your body, raise your hand up. Other folk, just lower your hands, but the people who need healing, put your hand up and leave it there. I'm going to ask other believers in your neighborhood to walk over and to lay their hands on you, on your arm, on your shoulder. We're going to make it a healing prayer and I want you to speak healing in the body of the people that you're touching make sure someone has somebody touching them everywhere someone who has or needs a healing do it now and I want you to speak and command healing in the body say be healed in Jesus name I want you to say that over and over again be healed in Jesus name and then we'll see what the Lord does in our midst right now as we wait on him Heavenly Father I thank you For the power of the Holy Spirit I thank you that he he is here this morning in our midst And he is here with your healing power And I pray healing in the body of God's children From the crown of the head to the sole of the feet Migraine headache I command healing to you now Be healed in Jesus' name I command pain to go in the name of the Lord Brain tumor be healed in Jesus' name I pray healing in the ears. Deafness, I rebuke you and I speak healing in God's name. I speak it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I pray healing in the mouth and in the jaw. I pray healing flowing down the backbone in Jesus name. From the from the top of the back to the to the bottom of the back. Scoliosis, I command healing in the name of Jesus. I speak healing to heart disease. I command in Jesus' name, healing in that heart. I pray healing in the the joints. Asthma. Emphysema. I command healing in the lungs. In Jesus' name, go in the name of the Lord. I speak healing in the lower tract of the body. Barrenness. Female problem. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Bowel bladder, colon, be healed in Jesus' name. I speak it done in the joints of the body, arthritis, rheumatism, asthma, I command a healing now in the name of Jesus. For every disease I have not mentioned, I speak that healing, Lord, in Jesus' name to your people right now in the name of the Lord. And I thank you for what you've done. Let's raise our voices together and give a shout to the Lord. Everybody, shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Blessed be God! Blessed be God! Blessed be the Lord! Hallelujah! Blessed be your name! Blessed be your name! Now, I want you to be quiet for a moment and if you raise your hand you needed a healing, I want you to go to the area of your body where you ask God to heal and I want you to do something you couldn't do. If it's a a headache, bang on your head. If it's a... Whatever it is, do something. I I remember a a young man with a a, a groin, a a growth in his groin the size of a baseball. He he headed back to the restroom and when he got there, it was gone. But do something physical now. Expect in the doing of it and we'll see what the Lord has done. Just moving any part of your body, just do it. If it's a back, whatever, move it in Jesus' name, and we'll find out what God has done. Praise the Lord. Keep on doing it in Jesus' name. Often it happens in the doing. That's faith in action. Praise the Lord. Look for it, and we want to give glory to the Lord for it. Now, if you know that something has happened to you, would you raise your hand anywhere in the building? You know that God has done something. Oh, yes, sir. I want you to slip on down here. Down here in the front row, I want you to stand here. Anybody, the Lord has done something. Slip out from where you are. It's important. If it's real and God's done it, it's important to testify about it. Seal it in your body with a testimony. Come and tell us. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. People are coming. Keep checking yourself and see what the Lord has done. Praise the Lord. Move out. Come on down and stand here with us. Praise God. Sir, uh, can I have someone help me with a microphone? Have you got it? Okay. What's your name? David, what has God done this morning? I had a jock itch for the longest time. I'm sorry? jock itch for the longest Uh time. Okay. I just want to say this morning, Uh I don't have it no more. It, you don't have any more. Let's give praise to the Lord for that. This gentleman here, what's your name? Bob Golia. And what what has the Lord done? Um, I've had surgery on my right shoulder about six weeks ago. And surgery to your right, surgery, right shoulder. My right shoulder. They took out part of my clavicle and a bicep tendon. I have not been able to raise my arm up without any pain, and now I can. Thank you. Somebody say Thank praise you. the Lord. You have not been able to raise it like that. Not and you're doing it without I'm pain? Doing, I'm doing it without totally pain. Totally without pain. Without pain. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you. the Lord. Yes. What's what's Hi. your name? Margaret. What's happened?
1: Margaret. Oh, I had sciatic pain nerve and it's sciatic? Gone, but it's gone now. But more importantly, three weeks ago I got diagnosed with kidney cancer.
0: And what's happened this morning?
1: Well, this is not from this morning, but the Jesus healed me because I went back two weeks later and had another exam, and the tumor is gone.
0: Oh, praise the Lord. So
1: I don't have to We join you
0: in that testimony in Jesus' name. Let's go over here. This lady right here, what's your name? My name is Flo. And what's happened?
1: Um, I had knee replacement, and then I have back problem. I couldn't bend down even to... Tie my shoes. I couldn't even bend down to pick up. I have to sit down.
0: What What's happening now?
1: now? I will be. I'm able to bend down.
0: Okay, bend down. Right. We're going to watch. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise yeah. you, Jesus. Let's talk to this lady here. What's your name?
1: Hi, Cindy.
0: What's happened?
1: Um, I've had a lot of pain in my hands and my wrists for years from some silly stuff that I did years ago. I really ruin these tendons and everything and I've been working around the house a lot lately and carrying stuff I was not supposed to be carrying and my hands and my wrists have just been aching and I, I knew this morning I felt like God was saying to me I'm going to heal that I, and I, so I just rest, I just do it so you can move your today, hands, there's no pain when my hands are up in the air it's, the spirit of God was just oh. flowing through them so I'm just Let's say so, thank
0: you, Jesus. praise the Lord, praise the Lord. this lady What's your name?
1: My name is Fatima. Fatima. What happened? Three days ago uh, was my birthday. I was in the hospital with uh, severe pains. They diagnosed me with diverticulitis of the colon. And I've been in severe pain since. And I came in today because I've been struggling walking. And as you prayed, I can touch it. And it doesn't hurt more. I have no pain in that area.
0: You came in. You came in this morning suffering with the pain. I've
1: been in pain for three days. Uh, for three days. And, and there's nothing I didn't even take Who, pain medication this morning. Did
0: someone beside you prayed for you.
1: My husband. Uh, yes, my husband. Okay. People.
0: Where are you? Raise your hand. Yes. Healing came through the laying on of hands. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name. This gentleman. What's your my name? My name's Rudy. Uh-huh. Um, I got shot four times. I have a bullet in my neck. And I still have a bullet in my head. And one got my carotid artery and moved up my wrist. I was in a car driving, and a, a kid in the back seat he, he was arguing with me, and he shot me with a 22. What's and happened then, now? My neck it feels a lot better. You know, Move my, it around. my neck was like, yeah, was like torture uh-huh. to do that, you know? Praise the Lord. It's still there. I don't know. <laughs> God works in mysterious ways, Amen. I guess. Yes, he does. You go claiming the healing, claiming right. the absolute Thank fulfillment. Thank you, Jesus. Of it. Thank you, Lord. This gentleman here. What's your name?
1: Uh, my name's Tony Rocha. I'm a doctor, all right? I have end-stage heart disease, high blood pressure, and everything else. Uh, I can feel my heart beating regularly. Now, I've already lived past the time that my cardiologist said I was going to live. Okay. You're, you're a
0: medical doctor.
1: I'm a medical doctor and I've already lived past the time so I can feel my heart beating regular and I feel stronger. My mind feels sharper than it was when I came into to church. Okay, so
0: come Thank on. You. Somebody say praise God. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.